All right. Hello. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, my name is Brian Turney, uh, one of the pastors here. Thanks for the kind introduction, Andy. Um, and yeah, today's going to look a little different. Uh, this will be a shorter little sermon, uh, a sermonette more. And uh, we, uh, yeah, because we've got a lot to do. It's an awesome gathering. This is exciting. Um, it's cool that you guys all showed up to hear me talk. So um, yeah, so uh, essentially in light of Mother's Day, um, and in light of the fact that as a church, we've been kind of marching through the book of Exodus, and we will be doing that over the course of the year. I thought it'd be cool to kind of, like Andy said, rewind, kind of look back, go back to examine the birth of Moses in Exodus 2, and specifically look at the courage and the faith that his mother exhibited as she, as she sought to protect him, to preserve his life. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty extreme example of motherhood, um, of a mom trying to save her child's life from death at the hands of their government. Um, but I think upon closer examination, we'll be able to pull some truths, pull some things from this story that apply not only, not only to the moms here, but to all of us. Um, before I go any further, though, I'd be foolish not to take this opportunity um, to give a special Mother's Day shout out to first my mom. Um, she's super supportive, and anytime I speak, she listens to the podcast all the way in North Carolina. So, love you, mom. Um, and secondly, happy Mother's Day to my wonderful wife, Melissa. Uh, we have three kids. Um, she's an amazing mother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, she's worth it. Um, in case you don't know who she is, I actually brought a picture that I want to show. Um, so this is her. Uh, our, our son, Charlie, uh, drew this. Uh, it's pretty awesome. He did a great job. Um, we're going to celebrate our 10th year of marriage next Friday. Um, she hasn't aged a day. Um, it's amazing. Um, but if that doesn't clear it up, um, Charlie actually wrote down a few things that kind of describe her. So that may, maybe that will help jog your memory. So I've got uh, a picture of that. And it's kind of hard to read, but you notice that her name is Mall 30, so she's actually part robot, um, and uh, a couple things from that that he wrote down is that she's beautiful because she has brown hair, that she's a big fan of making soup, but it's not really good soup. Sometimes he likes it and sometimes he doesn't, um, and finally that she's smart because she told Charlie that once. So um, hopefully that clears things up for you and you can kind of picture Melissa in your head. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so, so much of what I wanted to talk about today and in these next few minutes has been inspired and informed by my wife, Melissa. Um, she's faithfully strived to, <laughs> sorry, to live out her calling as a mother day to day through the highs and through the lows. Um, I also, just so you know, ran most of this by her beforehand to make sure I wasn't just mansplaining how to be a mom to all the women in here. That would be a terrible idea. Um, but uh, rather, I want to take this time to rely on the scripture, to point us to the gospel, to illuminate how that informs not only how we mother, how we parent, how we do marriage and work, and all of who we are. Um, so while I hope this is especially encouraging and engaging for moms, I think there's something in here for everyone. Um, and if there isn't, I've only got like 10 more minutes, and so deal with it. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at the scripture. Go to Exodus chapter 2. We read that the first 10 verses, but today I actually want to just hone in on the first three. I wanted to do the 10 for context, but let's dive in and let's look at Exodus 2 verses 1 through 3. It says this, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. 
The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Uh, So first off, um, this isn't mentioned in this passage, but Moses' mom actually has a name. Um, And we find out later in Exodus 6 and in Numbers uh, 26 that Moses' mother's name is Jochebed. So we'll refer to her as that. Um, And this is a pretty famous story, but just so that we're all on the same page, let me give some quick context to what's going on. So Jochebed and her husband Amram um, were Israelites living in Egypt. They were slaves. Um, The ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, noticed that even though um, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, that they were pretty prolific childbearers. And um, because the Israelites were multiplying so quickly, Pharaoh was starting to worry about the potential of a revolt. Um, that, that, that they would rise up and overthrow his oppressive reign um, that he held over them. So in order to squelch the possibility of an uprising, um, Pharaoh instituted an infanticide, a state-ordered decree to murder any newborn Israelite boy by casting the babies into the Nile River. And it's just awful, awful stuff. Um, And about the time that Pharaoh's decree went out, uh, we see in the passage that we just read that Jochebed discovers that she's pregnant. Before we go any further, I just want to take a moment to place ourselves in Jochebed and Amram's shoes, to imagine how harrowing the events of these three verses had to have been for them. First, finding out that you're pregnant, a normally joyous occasion, but realizing that there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to have a boy and that he'll be immediately taken to the river's edge and thrown to the crocodiles. Second, safely having a baby boy, but then anxiously trying to keep a newborn baby quiet and secret and safe for three months. And when we look at that, finally, they come to the realization uh, that after three months, the best thing for your baby's life is to put put them in a basket, float them down a river, not really knowing what fate awaited them. And that has to be an absolutely agonizing decision for Jochebed, trying to preserve the life of your baby for months, and ultimately coming to the realization that she just didn't have the power to protect him, that the realization that Moses would be better off left to chance in the current of a river than in his mother's arms. It's hard to fathom what it must have felt like in that moment when Jochebed would look her baby in the eye for the last time, not knowing whether he would live or die when she would say goodbye and let him go. And I think there's a lot of different reactions we could have to what Jochebed did here. I think you could say that it was cowardly, that she shouldn't have given up so easily. You could probably say that it was weak. She should have fought back. You could say that she lacked faith, that she should have prayed harder, believed harder, that God would protect her and her family. And obviously we have the benefit of hindsight in this situation, but the word I'm going to go with is courageous. Jochebed was courageous, and we'll we'll get to more on that in a bit. But first, I wanted to take a look at the word courage before we go further. Pastor slash author slash TED Talker Brene Brown uh, talks a lot about this, actually, about the meaning of courage, about how over time courage has been redefined to mean something more like heroism or bravery. But that actually, the, the, 
the word courage comes from the Latin word core, which means heart. And that courage was originally intended to be more about opening your heart. It was about being vulnerable. Courage was about being real, about who you are. And Brown says this, Heroics is often about putting our life on the line. Ordinary courage is about putting our vulnerability on the line. So let's keep that definition of courage in mind as we take a look at this other bit of evidence that reveals a little bit more about Jochebed and her mindset. And it actually comes from the New Testament. So chapter 11 in the letter to the Hebrews um, serves as a recounting of God's story through the course of history, where he uses various people in the Old Testament to string together his story of redemption that ultimately leads to the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. Then it's in the midst of that chapter that Jochebed and Amram get a little shout-out. It's just one verse, one sentence, but I think it helps us understand things a little bit more. Um, So you can look with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And it says this, Hebrews 11, 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And I think what this verse shows us is that rather than acting out of fear and desperation, that it was by faith that Jochebed and Amram had the courage to defy the Pharaoh's orders, had the courage to trust God to provide and protect their baby boy. Jochebed's actions were rooted in the hope and the belief that God would hold true to his promises, a trust and a belief that God is sovereign, that in, in his power and in his grace, baby Moses would be delivered from danger. And this is where that courageous vulnerability comes back in. This is a parent proclaiming through her actions, Lord, I am weak and you are strong. Courage is not about deluding ourselves by, by trying to buck up, relying on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own performance. Courage is about being vulnerable enough to recognize our insufficiencies in light of the sufficiency of our Creator God and trusting Him with all of it. Another thing that stands out from that verse in Hebrews is in the second half of the verse, where it says, because they saw that the child was beautiful. This isn't just a mom gushing about how cute her baby is. It echoes what it states in Exodus 2.2, where it says, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And this is actually further elaborated upon in Acts 7, verse 20, where Stephen is kind of recounting Moses' story. And he says this, At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And so what this speaks to is a special calling that was placed on Moses from the start, a promise from God for something more. And while we may not receive an overt, outward sign as Moses' parents did, Mothers, you have something better to rest your hopes on. Jesus, he is the calling. He's the North Star by which we orient our parenting to. Jesus is our promise fulfilled. Um, He calls our children to something more. And so rather than taking a posture of owning and controlling our kids as parents and trying to wrangle their way to success as we or as the world defines it, 
We disciple and we shepherd them towards Christ, their one true hope in whom we can place the entirety of our trust. And Jacobed's example of vulnerability and surrender to the Lord paints such a powerful picture, not just for parents, but for us all. Because each of us have things in our lives that we cling to. Things upon which uh, we place the burdens of fulfillment and hope that we hold on to so tightly so as not to lose them. Things like our jobs, our money, our identity, our status, our talents, our time, certain relationships. They are things that we find comfort in that will ultimately let us down. Things that distract us from Jesus that we could release to him and by doing so find true freedom and true joy. And maybe this manifests itself in um, a bad dating relationship. You know it's so unhealthy physically and emotionally and spiritually. But your fear of never finding someone else, your, your desperation to not be alone, it supersedes your trust that God is there for you and loves you far more than any person could. Or maybe it's about a job. It's about continuing in a career that goes against who you are um, and what you were gifted by God to do. And it's slowly killing you. But the security of the money, the security of the status feels safer and more comfortable than resting fully in the arms of the creator of the universe. We don't know how long uh, Jacobed lived, but the difficulty of surrendering her son into the hands of the Father would have been a faded, distant memory in light of the man that Moses would ultimately become. A man that God would use to alter the story of Israel's history. Uh, A man that God would use to change the world. And to think about her other children, Aaron, her daughter Miriam, they were right there beside him. That's such a beautiful family legacy. And there's no way in the wildest dreams that she would have had for her kids, that Jochebed could have ever envisioned that. And I know this is so cheesy, uh, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. Um, What are the things that you need to let go of? What are the things that you need to place in that basket and have the courage to entrust to God? I'll keep going. I'll keep the cheese going. Um, What are the things that you need to let go and let God? For real, though, that image of, of Jochebed placing her precious son into that basket and letting go is so powerful. And don't hear this and go toss your kid into the Platte River or anything like that, but, but ask God to help you see where you need to loosen your grip, to help you open your hand for your joy and for his glory. And here's the thing. God isn't asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. He offered himself up. He poured himself out for our sake. Jesus is our ultimate example of courage, of a God who had everything, but who gave it all up to take on our weakness and our vulnerability by becoming man. A man who suffered and died in our place, but in the end rose again victorious over everything this broken world has to offer. And we see that in um, Philippians 2. And I just want to read this and close this thing out. Um, But Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, says this. Though 
he, speaking of Christ Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus is more than an example. The gospel is the power by which our hearts can be transformed, by which we can learn to lean fully on him. May we be conformed to the image of Jesus through the power of his gospel, believing in the hope and promise of life in him, and walking in bold trust of his power over our lives, our families, our relationships, our kids, our homes, our everything. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of hardship. That, um, God, you are, you and you alone can satisfy our deepest longings, um, our deepest fears, our deepest hopes. God, we can place them all on you and trust in you to provide in ways that we cannot imagine. God, I pray that we take this posture with our kids. I pray for the moms and the dads in this room. God, that we would offer them up to you. God, that we would see ourselves as ambassadors, pointing our kids, guiding them towards the truth of who you are, um, rather than the truths the world tries to tell us um, really matter. And God, we um, we pray for each of us, the, the things that, our souls long for the things that we cling to, God, that we would release them in light of your glory and your goodness and your gospel. And uh, God, by your power, just transform us. Let us be a people defined by just radical faith, radical hope, radical trust in who you are and in what you've done, God. We ask and pray for great things in your name. Amen.